Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVito. Welcome back to Trades Work. I am your guest host, John Ekstrom, and I'm usually behind the scenes producing these shows, but today I'm pleased to turn the tables on our outgoing executive vice president, CEO, and usual host, Dave DeVia. Welcome to the show, Dave. Uh, good afternoon, and <laughs> I don't know why I agreed to do this, John, so be kind. I shall be kind. I, are you kidding me, Dave? This has been a joy to produce. So getting to turn the tables just a little bit, because you've done such a fun job of hosting this show with such a variety of guests that we've had, that I thought it only fitting to do an exit interview with you. Just It's been 17 years of you running Rocky Mountain MCA. Take me back to how it all started. How'd you end up at the Rocky Mountain MCA and what preceded your time here? So I was a banker, uh, happily employed, and I uh, worked for a large bank in town that had a national footprint. I had a great job and I met one of our members. I had known him for a period of time, knew he uh, owned a plumbing and heating company, um, but didn't know much about him. So we we went to a cocktail hour and sat down, and um, and so I started talking to him. My wife started talking with his his wife and his daughter, and they started up a conversation, and you know, kind of dove into you know what I did, and it's the common, you know, what'd you do, where'd you grow up, yeah, sure, you know, kind of conversation starters like that, and you know, at the end of uh, that conversation, which was about two and a half hours. Um, he paused and he said, would you ever think about leaving the bank? My response to him was, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing, but what do you have in mind? And he described the opportunity for me, which was essentially the job that I fulfilled for the last 17 years. And I said, you know what, I'd be happy to talk about that and, um, you know, kind of see what comes out of that. So who was this magical Oracle, Dave? His name is Al Stone. He was the project manager on the Sears Tower in Chicago. Oh, wow. Uh, and grew up as a pipe fitter in Chicago um, and then got the assignment to move to Colorado uh, and start pursuing work here. And I think it was late 70s, early 80s, he bought Braconier Plumbing and Heating. You know, just a delightful man. Uh, still somebody I actually talked to him yesterday. Um, <laughs> stay in contact with him. And he's just... Uh, very well respected and industry icon. And um, so I said to him, yeah, I'd be happy to have another conversation. And so that was in July of 2006. I just pulled out my job description that I was given. And the fax uh, date at the top was August 6th of 2006. Before we get there, because I'm interested in what that job description reads, especially relative to what you're doing now. But you said you were a banker. Can you give me a little more color on that? Because being a banker is a lot different than heading up a trade association that's that's sort of public-facing. I started with United Bank. Not long after I started, uh, became Norwest and then became what is now known as Wells Fargo. Sure. Um, I actually started as a banker and then... In 2000 or 1998, rather, um, I was approached and said, uh, you know something about technology, don't you? And I said, <laughs> yeah, I do. And they said, we, we need somebody to head up our Y2K project. And I said, Y2 what? Like uh, Office Space? Like in, in the movie uh, Office Space, updating bank code? I mean, you're not doing the code, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe you exactly. are. Exactly. No, I was not. 
Um, and so I took on that project, moving from the front facing customer operations to the back office and led that project up until uh, September 99 when Wells Fargo um, was purchased by Norwest. And I got called into the office of uh, the group head here. And he said, tomorrow we're going to be announcing a merger and uh, of the two companies and we're buying Wells Fargo. And I'd like you to lead the other eight states that make up my footprint. Okay. um, So then I, you know, got all of the states that that John Nelson had at that time, and we converted uh, and did all the due diligence we needed to do in order to make that magical transition from 1999 to 2000. Mm-hmm. So, contrary to Prince's lyrics, I was not partying like it was <laughs> 1999. I actually uh, was stuck in a hotel room and got up at uh, two o'clock in the morning and went and made sure that all the work we did was uh, successful. It's the most money I've ever spent leading a project to have nothing happen. Um, <laughs> and so we uh, we managed through that. And then I did some merger and acquisition work for a while. And then I was tapped to lead the Wells Norwest merger transition for the commercial banking uh, side of the bank. Did that and then kind of finished out my tenure at Wells, kind of running um, or being a, a, a kind of an operations manager for wholesale operations. Okay. So, I mean, in your experience now, that means you have a lot of experience riding herd on complexity, uh, dealing with a lot of different stakeholders, getting introduced to new folks. That makes a little bit more sense. That's a little bit more congruent in my head in terms of what you were doing in the bank versus what you ended up doing for Rocky Mountain MCA. Now, all right, take me back. What does that job description say? So, John, you you bring up a good point. You know, the pieces that I left off was um, prior to, you know, post-transition and prior to leading that business unit, I was tasked with uh, setting up town hall meetings across the country. The guy that ran ops and technology for the whole country had uh, 26,000 people who worked in his business unit. And he said, you know, every time I go to to give like a state of our operations – I don't know where to hold the meeting, where there's a place big enough for all my team members to come join us, where I can celebrate my team members. So I went and helped set up an event planning department and got the pieces and parts in place. And they hired an event manager or an event planner and handed off that business unit Um, post-Enron. You know, when the the meltdown of Enron happened, there was a lot of government regulations that came into play. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, same gentleman said to me, I don't understand what Graham Leach Bliley and Sarbanes Oxley mean. Go figure <laughs> this out. Uh, and we ultimately set up a, a compliance department. Wow. Um, and then. So you uh, had to ran- stand up a, cl- a compliance department? Yeah. Wow. That, and with new, with new legislation like Sarbanes Oxley, was that the same era as McCain Feingold too? Or did that impact uh, you or was that campaigns? That was before, I think. Um, Our our stuff was before that, but I could be sequencing-wise, you're you're tapping back 18 years, (laughs) 19 years ago. Sure. Um, But, you know, so I had bits and pieces of the job that I do today that were applicable and transferable. I was an elected official for the city of Westminster Mm -hmm. uh, here as a city councilor. And then, you know, I guess the the last piece that, that gave some complexity to this is I sat on the government affairs committee for the Colorado bankers association. And I was the the pack chair for Wells Fargo uh, for a number of years. And okay. so all these different pieces kind of converged into 
what is today the job I fulfill along with a lot of other pieces. That is amazing. And I think people have a tendency to underrate some of the past experiences that give them the insight to do the jobs that they're doing today. But it's all useful. It all goes into the machine and you get to take whatever pieces you want from your past experience and apply them in a forward direction in a way that no one else can because your experience is unique to yourself. I think that's fascinating. I think that's right. And what I would say furthering to that is, you know, all my career path, I've never understood. I've worked for three companies, soon to soon to be a fourth. Um, you know, I've taken bits and pieces of a job that may sound mundane. I don't understand, may irritate the you know what out of me. Sure. And I'm like, I can't wait not to do this anymore. <laughs> I gotta get rid of this, you know, task or whatever. And it's funny how you collect those over uh, a course of a career and, as you said, deploy those or start to utilize those um, in new opportunities like the one I had here. 100%, Dave. I, I think about my own career of doing public outreach and PR and campaigns. I did not enjoy doing crisis communications at all. That was no. not my favorite part of the job. But the fact that I know how to think like that will help me in situations that I don't even necessarily recognize right away. But I go, oh, this is a crisis PR problem. Here's the steps that you need to take. Here's how you need to think about it without actually doing any crisis PR. So I hear you on that yep. front. Yep. All right. Take me back now. Let's uh, let's take a look at that job description. I, I suspect you've implied some of it with some of your past experience and how you could imprint yourself on this new role with Rocky Mountain MCA. But let's hear it straight from what you just pulled up. When I was in through the interview process, it it took from July till November uh, and a series of interviews in 2006 uh, for them to ultimately offer me the job. And so um, didn't start until January. So a, as a result of that, I, my, one of my first questions in, during this cadence and in, in those meetings was, OK, what what, what does the job do? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, contractors sit on the board and they get to see the two or three hours a month that they're in a board meeting. But I was not I didn't want to make sure there was other stuff that I was not missing uh, or tasks that I did not have. I'm the second person to have this job in 35 years. Jeez. Um, and so and then if you go back one more uh, individual, um, that is 57 years would be the third. So. In the last 60 years, there have been three people that have sat in a similar chair and position. So, Dave, let me ask you real quick. I'm going to interrupt you and uh, just ask, what has led to that longevity in this organization, that kind of stability? I mean, that sounds like the Pittsburgh Steelers who've had, you know, like Mike Tomlin forever. Before that, they had Bill Cower forever. Before that, Chuck Knoll. That's a very similar descriptor for this organization having that kind of stability at an institutional leadership level what do you attribute that to well i think the industry as i arrived on the scene here you know we we in banking uh, we're, we couldn't talk to other bankers because we were afraid that they might figure out what free <laughs> free checking was and i make no joke about that i mean that is a true true statement uh, wow. there was a lot of kind of uh things that we weren't allowed to engage and talk to our peers and contemporaries about and here it's completely different. Okay. Uh, and I, I'm a banker at heart. Always will be a banker. Love the bankers. But I would say to you that that, that there's a lot of very salt of the earth people who build projects and they don't do it for the notoriety. They don't do it for the fame and glory. They just do it because that's what they want to do and that's what they like to do, building things with their hands. 
and I guess yeah. the, the notoriety from them comes from passing in power field and saying, you know, I built that or passing Coors Brewery and saying, I built that or, you know, CU Anschutz facility or St. Francis down in Colorado Springs or, um, you know, uh, St. Mary's Hospital in Grand Junction or, you know, fill in the blank in Fort Collins or Wyoming or, you know, uh, Western Nebraska and Western South Dakota. There are pieces that they build that they're proud of, but they're the most unpretentious, unmistakably humble people I've ever met. And I'm going to say it's the people that kept folks like me around uh, as long as as they have and, and given us the opportunity to, to lead and trusted that effort. Wow. That, I mean, that is a, a testament to just the work ethic and the mindset of folks like that. And it, it becomes very easy to work for folks like that. I, I hear what you're saying. So there, there wouldn't be a large desire to leave. You, you want to continue to elevate them because, you know, as they drive by, they say, for me, having witnessed this show now since its inception and helped shepherd it into existence, one of the things that's been most remarkable to me is it's not, as you say, about personal glory. It's more about here's this hospital, here's Empower Field, here's where tens of thousands of people and cumulatively over the years, millions of people have had their lives saved or they've enjoyed a sporting event or whatever. And it's like, you know, I helped contribute to that. And, and there's, a, there's a collective feeling that you yep. get from that. And you're right. You can't fake it because when you talk to these folks, you would know if they were putting on airs. But we've done, I don't even know how many episodes of this show. I should have looked that up before we started. I, I haven't gotten that impression from any of our guests. And so I just wanted to underline your point there because I think it's really well stated. Absolutely great people and they do great things. And we're talking folks that, you know, as a single practitioner to, I have one of our members here in Denver, it's him and his dad. And, you know, shucks, he's, he's in his sixties and his dad's got to be, you know, in his early eighties. And, and wow. so it's a generational business that has been handed down, you know, to companies that have five, 600 people, you know, on their payroll working. I've got multi, you know, state or multi-region employers. I've got, you know, one of the largest uh, collection of employers and they have a Colorado operation. And so, you know, it's really servicing, you know, kind of these big companies all the way down to, you know, one or two people yeah. in a truck or in the field, um, you know, coming to your house and fixing your furnace or, you know, working on an air conditioning unit and everywhere in between. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. So your role here, you, you have a number of different hats. Uh, you are the voice for these folks in the Capitol. You, you want to ensure that good policy is written. It doesn't negatively affect these folks. You want to champion good policy. You want to embolden them. You've created a college now. Uh, I've heard you talk on the show about you know, having to redo your health care plan for the folks who fall underneath this umbrella. I'm curious, in your time here, are there a handful of things, maybe some top things that you point to and you go, these are my biggest victories. This is the feather in my cap. This is what I'm going to remember most or first about my time leading Rocky Mountain MCA. I'd start in, in, by saying the following. There is no one victory that Dave DeVia gets the trophy for or um, that I walk away with the plaque or, or you know, the Oscar for. Um, this is a group effort and this is a team sport. And it takes the entire board of directors uh, plus our labor partners 
to move the machine in the right direction. And, you know, when I showed up here on scene, I thought I knew what the job was, but our labor leaders and labor partners taught me what the job really was. So the, the, the number one thing, you can't do anything else in this region or anything else as an association if you don't have strong relationships with your labor leaders. I've got five of them that I work with and an international rep. When I first started, you know, the business community, mostly at large and even some within the capital could look at this model and say, oh, you work with labor. Uh, and I never really understood that. We dug in and started working very hard on, you know, the relationship. We had a relationship with each other. I would kind of quantify it more as a topical. And we took a 14-month journey to build a solid relationship. And I will tell you, um, I would bet my life savings on our five guys uh, and stack them up against anybody else in the country. Wow. That is where success is born, uh, is working with and collaborating with the labor partners and then working with, you know, elected officials and helping to re-educate them on what labor. I mean, sure, in some respects, you know, one bad apple spoils the bunch and there may be, you know, stories of Jimmy Hoffa or, you know, Chicago-esque sure type uh, scenarios back in the 20s and the 30s or the 40s. And and maybe that left a, a mark on perception. And, you know, my my job here was really to, you know, develop that relationship that we have today. And, and these five guys in the international rep are leaders in the nation and look to for how did you do that? Why? How are you doing this? I mean, starting a college, we started a college as a means for workforce education and development. We did it because the only thing out there to students is college for all, so high school, right? Mm -hmm. And counselors and parents, all they hear is you can only be successful if you go to college. Well, last year, the average college graduate in Colorado had a starting salary of $51,000 a year, okay. which is almost as much as my first-year apprentice makes huh. out of the gates. <laughs> and apprentice doesn't pay for any education. They will pay some book fees and some, you know, some consumables and things like that, but they won't, they don't pay for the cost of the education. The group does, the collaborative does. And so, you know, we set out to start this college to A, reverse reputation uh, and reverse stigma and start to build upon the fact that you actually attend twice as many classes as a bachelor's degree wow. requires in the state of Colorado in our apprenticeship program. So these men and women are really, really bright. But as I said earlier on the show, understated and unassuming, right. uh, not braggadocious. And so, you know, um, you know, it all started labor. We built the college uh, was kind of like if I go in between the relationship and college, there's a lot of things in between. You touched on our health insurance. Again, I'm one of 12 votes, um, so make no mistake about it. I'm not taking a victory lap on what we did. We had to make some very, very tough decisions in 2008 and uh, 2009 uh, about how we were going to reverse uh, the trend. We were headed towards bankruptcy in our health, health wow. plan because we were taking in less income than we were spending and spending down those reserves. And it's a pretty simple math for the banker. 
know, the income <laughs> and expense, you got to fix one to balance that budget. And we worked on that really hard for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, we not only turned around the plan, but we restored some of the benefits. We've done some uh, additional benefits that uh, are being put in place. And I think we have one of the best health funds uh, against any of the other building trades. Very solid, uh, very sustainable. And we started our own third-party administrator. Uh, again, labor and management working together. So it all ties back to labor. And if you don't have that relationship and the ability to sit down and solve complex problems because you're you know, kind of sticking your finger in the other guy's or gal's yeah. eyes, then you, you got nothing. No, agreed. And Dave, I have a couple of things I want to react to. One is in terms of the perception of labor, I, I don't think pop culture did you any favors there um, in terms of, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Hoffa and Chicago. You know, there, there's a perception about labor out there that regardless of where it is rooted in truth, whether it's a little bit, whether it's a lot, whether it's not at all, it exists and it's something that you have to fight against and deal with. So that's number one. And so I, I think walking up that hill had to be challenging. Secondly, what you just described to me in terms of collaboration is why I know, having done public affairs in this city, why you are viewed as such a respected connector, as someone who can make connections with pretty much anyone, because you're doing that within your own organization. You have labor and business both at your table under the same umbrella, working together to find solutions. And if it can happen in-house, you can translate that model outwardly to do interesting things. And I think Colorado has a reputation for that. And you certainly, I mean, I, I would say you are, your style is reflective of what your organization does, right? Where people aren't looking to claim credit for themselves necessarily. They're, they're just looking to do good work and solve problems. And so you have earned that reputation and you are a part of that fabric of the community that gets things done. Thank you. Uh, and I just say that, you know, again, it all starts with labor. Um, we didn't have, uh, we had a relationship, but not the best relationship. But I would tell you, I think we have the best one in the country. And, you know, you mentioned business and labor at the same table. It's been my experience over the past, you know, 18, 17, 18 years here working you know, anything that you have business and labor on the same side of, that's a winning proposition, yeah. whether it be a ballot initiative, whether it be down at the legislature, whether it be, you know, trying to market Colorado for what it is, a great state with great people. When we're together, we're better. And, you know, there is an alignment there uh, that I don't think everybody appreciates um, and one that, you know, I've gotten to witness. And shucks, we even have a a business development and an advisor on our payroll that's out working with the, the larger building community to say, do you realize this is your, your best asset here and here's why? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> uh, all those things make us unique and make us very different. I would agree. And having not known this organization as intimately as I do now, having worked with you on this show for the last two years and interviewed people of all different stripes, I would say you're absolutely right. And what you've achieved, you've certainly earned uh, as part of this team. As you depart, what would be your top wishes, your top pieces of advice, your top words of wisdom for whoever your successor turns out to be? Uh, without getting too uh, biblical here, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Mm -hmm. People will tell you a lot. Uh, your ability to hear them 
uh, is different than your ability to listen. And so you, you need to really hear what these folks are telling you because what they're telling you is you can take that to the bank. You know, I spent the first couple of years really listening and understanding. I came into this business knowing nothing about construction, sure. knowing nothing about the policy uh, perspectives around construction and why unemployment and work comp insurance is so important to our industry. And and I had to do a, a lot. So, you know, uh, I don't have all the answers. I never have pretended to think I do. And, you know, you have to be a good collaborator. So listening and collaborating in a way that doesn't, it isn't about you is really important. And if you can do those two things, you really have the support of a lot of people. I like that. That's philosophical. I, I imagine there are probably some tactical things that you can put in the letter, for instance, that presidents leave each other when they leave office. But as far as philosophically, I think that's great advice. I had a boss in banking say to me, you know, Dave, it's pretty simple. You can have a hundred attaboys, but it's that one off shucks that erases <laughs> them all. And so mm. that to me spoke to it. It isn't about you. It's about the people you serve. And in, in this role, you serve a lot of folks across the state and in Wyoming, uh, Nebraska and South Dakota. You know, if you promote yourself before them, um, that's a recipe for a short tenure. It reminds me of an old PR axiom and you as head of this public facing organization know that it takes a very long time to build a reputation, takes a very short time to destroy one. Yep. My two final questions are, if you, Dave DeVia, as host of this show, were interviewing Dave DeVia as guest of this show, what would you ask yourself as guest? I would probably ask myself, the host asking my early on self, tell me what parts of your career got you to this place and tell me where you see yourself going. Into the first question, I would have said, I have somewhat of a schizophrenic career path and all these pieces and parts, as you and I talked earlier, yep. don't necessarily lend itself to a very linear process to get to point A to point B, but it's really made me, I think, a better and well-rounded person. And so that would be my first answer. And my second answer would be, I don't, know what I plan to accomplish here. And I don't see myself being a long-term person here because <laughs> construction by by nature is very cyclical. You yeah. know, it's a boom and a, boom and a bust kind of thing. And what that's taught me is don't foreclose on any one idea. You got to be open to them as they present themselves. And honestly, I, I felt like I was going to be here and retire here just like my predecessor did. Wow. Well, opportunities arise. And what you just described to me, which is to me sort of counterintuitive for someone who calls himself a banker, is a very Zen kind of mindset. And so just being open to ideas and possibilities and then embracing them when they arise, what else can you do really, right? Nope. So final question, we need to bring this show full circle in its current form. When Dave DeVia was a little kid, you obviously didn't know until 17 years ago you were going to be leading the Rocky Mountain MCA. What did you want to be when you were sitting in elementary school? I wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to help people. Really? You're talking yeah. to a punk rock guy who's always had problems with authority, so that runs anathema to my own experience, but... 
That is, you wanted to be a police officer because you wanted to help people. I find the sentiment in that beautiful. What what prevented you from pursuing police work? You know, I, I got my first opportunity. I, well, first uh, started college and, and quickly found out that they invited me not to come back after a little bit. Uh, mm. Said that I, my, my focus and attention was in the wrong place. Was that um, accurate? Highly, highly offensive. No, I mean, you know, drinking beer and throwing Frisbees and... You know, going to going to college parties, I, I that's what college is about. Uh, and so I aligned real well with that mission. You know, the academic piece was where I kind of fell down. And sure. I thought that was a byproduct of, of going to college. So I started and stopped. I jokingly say that I started and stopped college a number of times. I started, you know, and pursued um, interest in being an EMT back to I wanted to help people. Uh, quickly learned through some clinical and rotations in an ambulance and an emergency room that I wasn't cut out for that. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to go be a insurance uh, agent. And so started pursuing that. I thought, nah, I don't want to do that. Um, then I was going to go be a realtor, took the test, passed that, passed the insurance test, by the way, sure. um, which if you, reading a phone book, I think would be more exciting than reading <laughs> Either of those books. As and, my wife has passed the real estate test, so uh, I've seen some of the some of the material in there, and it is some dry toast. It, it is necessary, but very dry. Very important, but yes, uh, it, it's important to have command over that. But it's not the most thrilling thing to dig into in that way. I agree with you. Yeah, and I just I just never really pursued being a police officer, and there's only one regret I have in my life, and that is that I never served in the military because I believe in this country, everybody in my family uh, from father to grandfather uh, in on both sides, you know, had a, had a military career for a, for a period of time. I really wish I would have done that uh, in my career. And, you know, I just, I never got started in traction on going into the police Academy and, and, you know, kind of going down that training route. And I don't know why. I mean, it, it could be a fun thought experiment to perhaps consider why, or you could perhaps just accept the zenness of your life and say, I have arrived here, I have done very admirable work for this organization, and Dave, as someone who has worked with you and who is closing up this era of the show, um, it remains to be seen what happens going forward. I just want to say thank you on behalf of anyone who listens to this. I'm sure they are grateful for your service. It has been a pleasure and a unique joy to get to watch it from this perch right here where this show, no one listens to it more than me because I listen to each episode twice. So yep. once when we record it, once when, when, once when I do post-production, and uh, you are an absolute ray of sunshine and should be commended for the work that you do. Thank you for everything, Dave. We appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, it's been a joy. I think the the real work gets done with our members and our labor leaders. It's been an honor to be here, uh, and it's been an honor to get to serve uh, these individuals. So, you know, kind of what caused me to want to be a cop to help people, um, you know, has ended me or landed me in this job. And, uh, you know, it's bittersweet closing this chapter. There's a lot of great people that will remain here, and uh, I'm you know, indebted to the organization, the board of directors, and will always uh, hold a special place in my heart for everybody involved. And it's been an honor to work with you. And uh, I think, you know, I've said it once, maybe a uh, hundred times, uh, 
I this was a show that I did not really <laughs> fully embrace doing because I don't like it being about me. Right. And um, I was convinced by Catalyst Public Affairs and you that this is a good opportunity and something we should do. And it's been a true pleasure to do it. Terrific. Thank you, Dave. Well, Dave, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the next chapter for Rocky Mountain MCA. I'm excited for your next chapter, where you're going next. Would you close the show for us one last time? What is the line? Well, thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for listening today and joining us. Please stay tuned for more industry insights, news, and information about the women and men building our communities, building our skylines, building our futures. It's Dave DeVia signing off. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.